Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Miranda Ayim podcast. I'm Miranda Ayim, a two-time Olympian with Team Canada, and today I'm joined by Amy Lada. Amy Lada is a registered psychotherapist with her own private practice specializing in relationship and sex therapy. She's also the director of programs at a local not-for-profit, and she is a dynamic community leader. In this episode of the Miranda Ayim podcast, Amy and I discuss the process of moving through emotional storms, some techniques to increasing self-awareness, and how to make an immediate impact in your community. If you take some value from this episode, please consider liking, subscribing, commenting, reaching out and connecting with me. It's a great way to see how you interact with the content, and I love to hear your feedback as well. Also, if you have a friend or colleague that you think would benefit from this episode, share the link with them as well. And let's get right into it. If you're looking to understand and empower yourself and your community, this conversation is for you. All right, Amy, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, hey Miranda. <laughs> so glad that you could join me. I'm so happy to have you on um, I already did an introduction, but I'm so pleased for people to be able to listen to this conversation. I think it's going to be amazing because you're just such a genuine person, a high- <laughs> <laughs> so intelligent and passionate and everybody who knows you and comes in contact with you just walks away with a smile and feeling Aww. enlightened, I feel. So I'm glad to have you on the podcast and to uh, share that with everyone. Um, so for those who maybe don't know you, who don't have the pleasure of knowing you, could you tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and how you came to be where you are today? Definitely. My name's Amy. Um, I'm from London, Ontario, Canada, and I've been friends with Miranda for a long time now. Um, and my main work is actually doing community development and as well as uh, working as a registered psychotherapist. Uh, I run my own private practice and I focus mainly in on relationships and sex therapy and how do we essentially connect with one another and actually be able to increase our capacity with our partners, with our family members, with our community, and uh, with this, with the rest of the world around us is mainly where my work moves through in my practice. Oh, so good. There's so many places to go with that. And I have so many questions to ask you, but I'm sure we'll get into a little bit of everything. But wondering if sure. we could start off in the area of the thing that is weighing on most of people's minds, the pandemic and <laughs> what we are shall not be named. <laughs> exactly the elephant in the room and you as someone in the mental health industry and um uh I, i'm just wondering if you can take us through you personally how you're moving through the pandemic or also how you're helping your clients through this, any coping mechanisms, any strategies, reminders, words of wisdom. Yeah, and it's been said before by so many people, we're moving through it together. And for myself, and for those of you who are listening, um, I'm sure you resonate with that statement. Even me just saying it right off the bat is moving through it together and, you know, experiencing it 
together is such an important part for us who are like supporting clients or supporting, you know, loved ones in the community. Um, and something that I've been reflecting mainly on for myself is, you know, how am I doing each day when I'm w waking up? And, you know, when my eyes open, I can tell you that, like, I just want to go back to bed because that's a really nice warm space to be in and it's nice and protected and warm. Um, and, you know, when we have those times where we're feeling like, you know, okay, it's going to be another day where, you know, maybe things are uncertain or things are changing or things aren't looking necessarily what we thought today was going to look like, it can leave us in this space of like, less than things aren't feeling like, you know, I have to, I'm getting everything that I want out of life. And, you know, for, for myself as a clinician, it's really admitting to myself that that's where I'm in. And, you know, if I can actually resonate with that for myself first, um, as I start to approach my day with clients, or would it be like with community members and the work that I do, it's really also recognizing that they also are experiencing that. And, you know, being able to connect on that front and actually like engaging in that conversation, right? Um, do you, are you tracking with what I'm saying? Absolutely, absolutely. I'm picking up what you're putting down. I love that. I love how you put it in the context of it's something that we're moving through together. And often, you know, put the pandemic aside, we all have stuff that we're dealing with in the background mm -hmm. going on all the time. Um, and it's something that we need to be cognizant of when we're, when we're dealing with ourselves and how we're talking to ourselves and how we're talking to others. And now it's something that we, we know everybody is going yes. through this and it's yes. weighing on everybody's mind. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting how it kind of gives us a, a new perspective about um, how we're, we're functioning on the a surface level and then how we're functioning a little bit deeper as well, no? And in this time too, right, like not only did we have patience for, you know, maybe certain other things that we thought we had in a time where we're constantly in a space of stress, like our body may not necessarily be aware of it, but that stress and anxiety of when is this going to end or how is this going to end or what does this look like or even the grieving ambiguous feeling of like what's been lost in, through this pandemic. Um, we can find that our patience level has really depleted. And someone the other day said to me, even to me, you know, how in this season we really are functioning out of like shallow spaces of grace for not only one another, but most importantly for ourselves. So, you know, you may find yourself really like you do something that's like a mistake or something that really shouldn't really bother you, but you are like just at your wits end with yourself. And you're like, oh my goodness, like I am the worst person ever. Or like, how could I have missed that? Like, I never miss things like that. And we find that that amount of grace that we have had for ourselves is so small. It's so shallow. And, you know, that mind frame shift in terms of talking about coping strategies and uh, being able to apply a different way of thinking over ourselves and for others is really thinking of it as like buckets of grace, buckets of understanding, buckets of grace and mercy in terms of like being able to approach one another and say, you know what, is this something that really <laughs> is going to be something that's going to impact, you know, the, the whole big picture? 
because the big picture can feel really unsteady. So when we see the minute pieces, how can we be able to apply grace in that moment or you know, time and space in order to give ourselves more permission to actually be able to like move forward versus like, you know, staying in that, that space of really beating ourselves up. Um, it's been something that I've really been reflecting and encouraging others just to reflect on. What do you yeah. think when, I, when you hear what I'm saying that? Well, I love the phrase or the idea of shallow reservoirs of grace. I mean, I, like I don't the love the idea. Okay. I'm going to yeah. add that one, shallow reservoir. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't love the idea that we are existing in this state, but um, to sometimes just putting a, a, a name to it helps us also move forward and cope to it. Because like you said, it's kind of like this fuzzy kind of illusion we of just moving through things we're not sure there's a lot of uncertainty and maybe we feel a little bit off and we don't know what the next step forward is i know i've felt that way my myself when especially last summer when i did not know when i was going to be returning to play and i had no goal i had no objective and as an athlete like how do i prepare myself physically for sure first of all like why would I go out and run if I'm like, like there's nothing to, to run for? What's I don't want to stay in shape. Yeah, exactly. But then also mentally, what, what are we going towards? Like no purpose and no meaning, no direction um, that can be really draining. Um, so I love that idea of just dousing ourselves with buckets of grace. Buckets of grace. And we have to keep in, in mind that in terms of like long-term strategic planning, it's really hard to formulate that right now. And in that, when we set, you know, long-term goals, we are then able to set the smaller goals, the shorter term goals and the objectives in terms of to actually approach that longer term piece. But because that bigger picture component that further down the line strategic point seems to be ambiguous at this point, there's a grieving process in that, that we're moving through at the same time, trying to constantly adjust and shift in the moment and feeling like things aren't necessarily aligning. And so like, in terms of like coping through that, we need to recognize that, you know, that far off point piece, when we start talking about like, you know, what could a business look like in a year from now? Or what could uh, my financial health in my career look like? Or buying a house or planning a family or whatever it may be for you in this time. You know, I think, you know, we have to keep in mind that that part can't, it is influenced by this pandemic. And then you then are also trying, maybe subconsciously even, set shorter term goals. And then you're not necessarily feeling like you're hitting them. And, you know, when we talk about, you know, how we're talking to ourselves in this present day moment, like what I'm talking about today as we're recording this podcast, it's really noticing for ourselves that space that we are in and how can we actually be speaking to ourselves in a way that we are aware and have a light to knowing that the long-term peace feels very ambiguous. So we're not actually picking apart ourselves, feeling like I'm not actually achieving. I'm not actually moving myself forward. Um, we need to be aware that like, we're actually feeling this part where we're like, okay, we need to actually give ourselves some more space and compassion too. 
um, in this present day. And, you know, I've heard other clients say to me or people say to me like, you know, um, well, I feel like, you know, um, like, you know, how much can I do this for, for today, right? I just want to be able to be in certainty. And um, I think, I think there's a, a lull of, of almost interest and almost a fantasy around certainty as if it can be achieved. It cannot. <laughs> Miranda no. said so clearly. <laughs> and even though we can like admit that, that we can't actually achieve it, there's still this part in our, our, our mind or in ourselves that continues to try to drive towards it. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like it's the same with perfection. We talk about this a lot, especially for high achievers who are often perfectionists. Um, you will ask the person, um, does perfection exist? No. Okay. Excellent. Can, can you be perfect all the time? No, no, it's not possible. So why are you trying why, when you fail or do something not perfect, do you then beat yourself up as if that's, that is not the certainty, actually. The certainty is that it won't be perfect. It can be, you can try and approach, not perfection, but a high level of excellence. But the, the fact of beating ourselves up or setting that as the, the goal, a, a goal that doesn't exist and never will exist, is, is a really tough position to, to be in. So we, we, we can admit it cognitively or we can admit it logically like in our minds, but there's something that's like in a deeper like heart level on our like a body level that's like desiring a, a, a consistency component, right? And, and, you know, when I've worked with people um, and even for myself, right, this drive for high performance, high perfectionism, you know, creating everything consistent piece, like I, I resonate with that, right? Um, in terms of like wanting to see that for myself. And the work really has been bringing myself into a space of being more comfortable in uncertainty and recognizing as things are moving that I am actually okay as they are moving and shifting around me. That I don't actually need to continuously attend to everything that's shifting around me in order to get affirmation, in order to you know, receive um, recognition for that, right? We see these things shifting and moving around us. And especially as we draw this back to like our present day around the world with this pandemic, as things continue to shift and I've watched people move with restrictions or guidelines or things that are presented to them. And they're constantly left with this space of like, but I did everything right. Like I've been doing everything right. And I still contracted COVID or I still lost my job or I still got diagnosed with cancer. Right. And it can feel very much in this like component of like, what did I necessarily do wrong? And, you know, I, I really want just to encourage anyone who's listening right now, just to really reflect on like, how can we actually just, again, bring us back to a space of permission and compassion for oneself that these things are going to shift and move, but you yourself are actually okay where you are in this moment and are actually attending to who you actually need to be in this space and time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So what does that look like? What are the first steps that we need to take to create this sort of awareness in the first place to create that compassion and grace? How do we stop, first of all, because even just stopping and pausing is, is not habitual to us. How do we create a habit of taking a pause um, and taking a look inside? What are the questions we should be asking ourselves? Well, number one, for those who are listening, podcasts like this actually bring you introspective <laughs> and insight focused. Um, I am a deep believer in surrounding yourself by around people and, you know, books and podcasts that actually encourage you to create new questions for yourself and how you actually are thinking about yourself. Um, you know, things that actually challenge your way of thinking um, I always love to use like the reference point of if you feel a little bit disturbed, why do you feel disturbed by what's being presented to you, right? Like if you're feeling a little bit like, man, that kind of like doesn't sit right with me. The question that you can actually be asking yourself is like, why doesn't it sit with me? Sometimes that may be with like values and belief systems that we've been brought up with. Uh, maybe they don't align with it. But my question back to that would be like, and how does it not fit? And why does it not fit? Um, and maybe it's actually true for you. Maybe we do need to s s take a step back uh, from the work that's attending to us. Um, maybe we do need to take a step back to actually be able to move forward. You know, when we talk about self-awareness, um, something that's really good to remember is um, as we start to look around and notice more things in our life, it can almost become overwhelming to, to one's mind. So when we talk about like behaviors that you or I do or another person may do, we look at ourselves and we start to notice these patterns around us. And, you know, we can even when I, I'm going to relate it to specifically like relationships. Maybe you have a partner or a friend or a family member that you start to notice like a pattern that you've been in. Maybe it's uh, the way that one another talk, maybe a fight may happen pretty fast. And, you know, a question that you can ask yourself is like, I want to start to see how often this may actually be happening. So maybe you start to notice like you and your partner fight multiple times during a week. Maybe you start to notice that your friend asks you to do something for him or her. And um, it's actually something that happens multiple times in a month. Um, or maybe your kids uh, start to ask you for something and you yourself uh, continuously just don't want to actually attend to that conversation. And these are all like distressing points that I like to highlight is like things that you know that there's an issue between you and that other person, but you don't necessarily know how to change it. So the first point would really be just looking at, okay, how many times do I actually do this? How many times do my partner and I fight? How many times does that friend actually, you know, ask things for me and then I feel like I'm obligated to do it? And by being aware of how many times it actually happens, you, you can, you know, write that down in a journal, you can record it in your phone, or maybe even just become more cognitively aware of it. You can actually start to realize just how often and how frequent that is happening. And even reflecting on that standpoint, maybe it happens multiple times a day. Maybe it happens multiple times a week. So when we talk about like, you know, 
people are frustrating me or I feel like my relationship isn't doing really well. It gives us an actual like point of measurement to actually say, okay, that itself is how often I'm doing it. And then it may come to a space of time when you're like, oh my goodness, I am doing this repetitive behavior so many times in my life. I'm saying yes, but I'm actually wanting to say no. Why do I keep saying yes, but desperately know that I need to say no to new projects? And it can become like this overwhelming sense in our minds that we're feeling like despair, frustration, anger towards ourselves. And just like this utter, like, how do I actually create change in my life? And it's that Miranda that I encourage people to actually resonate with that anger that we feel towards ourselves, that frustration, to actually realize that that is actually the catalyst for change where we're actually going to start to actually see something happen. When we're noticing that things just don't change and how often we're doing it. And it is there that we're actually able to switch it and actually start to say, okay, no, I'm in a space of frustration and anger that I actually want to change this about me so that I myself can actually be doing better in life and function better, not only for myself, but for the relationships that I so desperately want to keep. I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. Using those, those usually what we frame as negative emotions as catalysts for change. I, I remember reading and hearing Mark Manson talk about those as signposts directing us to what we need to pay attention to. And it's so true because often we, we notice those emotions and we get more frustrated and that just feeds into it. But instead reframing it in this sense of like, oh, thank you, emotion, for directing my attention here. Now I know the next two steps that you mentioned, or rather three, rather, a tracking those patterns and then asking yourself, why is this happening or why am I reacting this way? And then the next step is like, how can I approach this differently or how can I change it? Or like, what are the next steps? And, and you mentioned it journaling. This is why I'm such a big proponent of, um, um, or advocate rather of journaling is because we can't remember everything that goes on. I don't even remember what I did in the morning. I've, I've recently taken to jotting a few things down in the morning and, and then I look at the same um, page at night and I'm like, oh yeah, I did write that down. Like in the span of 10 hours, I forget this incredible insight that I had in the morning. And just these notes to self, these literal notes to self is what a journal is, whether it's on on paper or your phone or your laptop, whatever is your vibe. Um, It has incredible power for self-awareness, knowing what's going on inside of you, how you relate to others. And then you can just build from there because knowledge is power. It's the cliche of cliches, but so true. You, you don't know what to change if you, if you don't know what's there. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, you know, when we talk about, you know, negative emotions, it can feel, and depending on people's upbringing, it can feel very scary to actually approach those feelings and actually recognize them. And to those of you who may, you know, be listening to this and actually feel like, um, well, I don't know necessarily feel comfortable or safe to sit with those emotions by myself, right? Um, I like to always like resonate it with like, you know, it looks like, you know, an ocean in front of us. 
And if I step into that ocean of sadness, or I step into that ocean of realization that like, I'm actually really angry that I do this about my life. And it feels like you're going to go into that ocean and you're going to sink. My encouragement to you would be then reach out to maybe a trusted friend or a family member, uh, or as well as, you know, getting connected with some type of like coach or clinician that actually can be able to journey with you in that, that can actually put like a good, like PDF around you, like a, like a good floaty device. Maybe you wanted to be like a ducky or like a swan or whatever kind of thing, whatever you wanted to look like and actually like build the tools for yourself to feel safer in that ocean. Um, and actually realize that the negative emotions aren't there to take you into an undertow, to take you underwater. It's there to actually make you realize that you're sitting in a body and you're actually able to enjoy the waves floating over you. And you're actually safe to actually learn how to move through that. Um, is really, really important just to think in terms of like a metaphor, how we're approaching, you know, again, we're going to use those words, negative emotions. I've heard it be dark emotions or blue emotions. Um, really just how can you actually learn to actually engage with those type of emotions? I love that having the tools to move through that and knowing that we don't need to sink or we won't be bowled over by a wave. But when you think about what does it look like for someone who is steady in the midst of a storm? It's not someone who's outside of the storm. It's just someone who has an anchor and they're just kind of like riding it out. You know, they're going with the, the rise and the fall of the, the waves. That doesn't mean they're not touched by the storm. It doesn't mean they're not getting wet, um, but they have something like those tools, reframes, an anchor that people around them as well, supporting them that that help them through that. And that's, that's why it's so incredible. People like you, obviously, um, who who give us these strategies and and tools to to help us move through this, for sure. I'm wondering, especially because I always like to for people to walk away with something practical. And obviously, we're talking about a lot of things here that people can start to do. But a client walks into your office and they are feeling overwhelmed with things that are going on in their life. Um, they have a lot of stress. They have a lot of anxiety. Um, they, they frequently feel like they are not able to handle what's going on. They are not able to control their thoughts. How do you start to walk them through that process? Yeah. And I think my question, I am going to relate this right back to that, that ocean analogy is those clients maybe actually coming in, in a space where they are underwater at this point and they feel directionless. And maybe there is the turnaround space in terms of that dark water. And when clients do come in, in terms of like not knowing their orientation in terms of like, front, forward, up, down, sideways, whatever it may be, is really working in terms of grounding techniques to be able to give them some form of structure. Um, you know, for myself, it's really working with a client to look at, okay, is it a frequency of sessions? Is it a frequency in terms of, you know, your sleep habits? Um, giving them something to actually grasp onto in terms of like a daily schedule chart, 
um, being able to actually work with them in terms of what are their active toolkit that they actually have in terms of coping strategies. You know, sometimes we've listened to podcasts or we've read books, or we've talked with friends, and we've heard them give us suggestions, but not necessarily we're applying them. So how do we actually be able to apply some of those techniques in our lives? Um, as, as simple as, you know, just in terms of um, grounding techniques as like even in the morning spending, you know, 15, 20 minutes in terms of just reflecting with oneself. Um, you know, when we talk about, you know, reflection, uh, some of the feedback that I've gotten from new clients, especially who are in high stress situations is like, I don't got time for that. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be left alone with my thoughts. Um, I got so much that I have to do. Um, or what am I even going to be doing with that time? And if that's something that like, if you're listening to this or it resonates with you, and specifically when clients are coming into my office, saying things like that, it's a signal actually that we are functioning in a space in overdrive and we're not actually resonating with like the true reality. So we're thinking, okay, if I keep myself in the space of like, again, we talked about this perfectionist piece, a space of like, okay, I need to do more. I have more to do, et cetera. And the simplicity of saying, okay, can you take 20 minutes for yourself? Can we look at, you know, grounding techniques throughout the day? Can we look at being able to create some type of structure for you to actually address your overcompensating behavior, workaholism, whatever we want to call it. <laughs> and that, that reaction is actually, you know, in terms of like, I don't have time for this. You need to hear that it's actually a signal that you actually do need to take that step back. You need to actually be bringing yourself into a deeper space of emotional awareness. And I know from experience, not only for myself and for other people that I've worked with and just even working within the community, it's hard to actually set that boundary with yourself because sometimes we may see in our workplace or in our society, other people who are actually functioning the same way that we are. So if we actually want to take that step back, it's like, but then everyone else is going to get ahead. Mm-hmm. And that's scary. <laughs> that's really scary because what if I'm left behind? And, and, you know, for those of you who are listening, I really want to just encourage you is like even reflecting on as you yourself are actually on this quest of, you know, taking, you know, time, being able to bring more compassion and grace towards yourself, actually, you know, feeling like both feet are on the ground and not actually just like floating above it. As you're actually starting on that quest for, um, increasing your own emotional awareness is actually inviting other people who you may be working with or who are in your family to actually do it with you. And it can be as simple as like saying like, Hey, I'm going to start going to see a therapist or, Hey, I'm, I listened to this really great podcast and I started talking about this. I'm going to actually start to apply this to my life. What do you think? Would you want to do it with me? And then it can feel a lot less lonely. Because I'm going to, I bet you anything, I bet there is going to be a coworker who says, yeah, like I feel the same. 100%. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or a team player or a friend or a family member, right? Because it's, it's perpetuated not only by, you know, what we surround ourselves in, but it's very much within our culture. Oh, yeah. The, the most personal is the most global. Like 
the things that we hold closest to ourselves that we think are secrets and are unique to us <laughs> are exactly the things that everybody else is feeling. No, I'm the only one who deals with it. Right, right. We are not unique, regardless of what our mother tells us. We are not the most special <laughs> person and only one dealing with this. And you touched on so many good things there. Mm. There is this idea about changing our mindset from finding time to do something to making time to do something because we in fact do have a fair amount of control over over how our day looks there are many caveats and exceptions to that but <laughs> just to say that there's a lot more pockets of time in the day than what we think and we can do a lot more with them than what we think sometimes i'll do a grounding technique or a breathing technique literally for 30 seconds and it makes a huge difference for the next hour two hours three hours because i'm able to bring my focus back even in a short period of time and no one on earth can tell me that you can't find 30 seconds to do something <laughs> i will not believe you <laughs> we you and i we are both busy yes. people we both find time to do this you can find it if you make the time to it do comes it. down to intentionality. It comes down mm -hmm. to intentionality and, and, and I get it, right? Like it's that intentionality where, again, let's go back to this goal thing where it's like, I want to be successful in life or I want to <clears throat> have great purpose and great impact in this world. So, so built into that, you know, we can highlight in terms of like career objectives. We can highlight in terms of like education and training that I need to do and how I'm going to network and such too. But like, you know, if you are that walking dead, walking into that interview at the end of the day, how much are you actually going to be influencing that workplace, that culture, those people who you are actually going to be working with? And I think another important part to actually highlight is the fact that, you know, we ourselves can be doing these techniques, but if we're not actually sharing with them the impact that they're having on us and how they actually can influence other people, we're actually doing a disservice to ourselves mm. because we actually need to be actually advocating in the community that there needs to be actual social change within our workplaces, the way, you know, our education system is actually, you know, setting up people, the way that actually, you know, us as cultures, you know, when we, we live in a culture, and again, I don't know who's listening and where you're from, but, you know, if your culture is a driven culture, a high achievement culture, you know, recognizing like, you know, wow, this is actually impactful for me. I want to actually have this to be supported and, you know, scaffolded for me to actually be successful. We need to be advocating for that change in and around us, right? Because that's actually going to help us be more successful in our own work for what we're trying to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're getting into an area that I wanted to touch on. So you, I'm so glad you brought us to this point. And I'm going to ask you about it in just one minute. I'm going to retrack um, just to what you were saying about, it made me think about a sport analogy. Of course, I'm an athlete. And I think about- I am not an athlete for those of you who are listening. <laughs> you soccer, you're active. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm, well, I'm active for sure. I believe in active living, but definitely um, I would be the number one mascot on a sports field <laughs> or cheerleader. <laughs> but the great thing about sports analogy is even though, even if you don't play and you don't even watch, you still get it. We all get yes. the idea of sports because we all played when we were young. And I think about this um, creating time and feeding into ourselves um, in the idea of, me on the basketball court, I practice every day. I build my skills to become a great basketball player. But I also, every other day, go to the gym and lift weights, which is not basketball per se. That's not the goal. That's not, like the basketball is the goal. The basketball is where I want to be successful. But the weights is what is going to maintain my body in order for me to reach my goal in good health and functioning at an even higher level than I would be if I was just running and practicing my basketball skills. Because anybody can do that, but we need to really strengthen the foundation, the core of who we are in order to even achieve that. But most of us are just functioning on this side of the plane, just trying to, to work hard enough to get there. But what seems counterintuitive like lifting heavy things and breaking down muscles is the same as taking those moments of reflection. It feels like we are wasting our time, but we're actually building that foundation for us to thrive at an optimal level. And then that's where you um, brought it to the next level. And this is what I love um, talking about like with like-minded people, because it's not this selfish desire at the end of the day. It's not this we're not doing all this self-reflection just so that we can get ahead. That for me is a dead end road because we don't exist in a vacuum. We need each other. We need that connection. And so, and it's so much more purposeful to, to do it for someone else, to do it, to give into a community, to, to build something greater than yourself. And, and that's why this idea of, okay, I wanna become the best that I can be not just so that I can succeed and I can be the best and I can get awards. No, I want to be the best that I can be so that I can spill over onto others so I can put that out into the world to help those who are less fortunate, to help those who are running alongside me so that we can get to either our goal so that we can build up society. And then you're getting into this almost idealistic state, but that's, that's what we're, we're aiming for, isn't it? Definitely. And, you know, being a number one team player for your community and, you know, how you define that community will differ based on that person. So really looking at, okay, who is my, my system? Who's my network of people that I am looking to impact? And a lot of times we in our minds think that, you know, those who are in direct relationship to us are somehow less than in the impact sphere than those who we could potentially influence, right? Those who we may not actually know, right? I love that. Interesting. Because it keeps us in a space of actually fantasizing about what we actually could potentially do if only my life is only a little bit better than where I am right now. Or if you actually like, you know, those direct relationships or that direct workplace that you're working in, you start to fantasize about, you know, what things could be. And this is where we get the old saying about the grass is not greener on the other side kind of component and watering the grass 
on the side that you're actually standing on. And yes, I am that person for sure that believes that. But, you know, if we can actually see in terms of, you know, the community that directly relates to us, even that is, you know, in your household at this time during the pandemic, you know, you yourself, maybe there's a couple other people who live with you. Maybe you're living alone. Maybe you actually are accessing people through via the internet or by the phone. My question to you would be, how do you actually create impact and influence and if you're saying to yourself right now, like, but it's not enough. My question to you would be like, you know, how can we actually see those small parts like going to the gym, like, you know, taking those walks, like doing those small things and start exercising a muscle that doesn't feel necessarily strong in terms of creating impact in the community? You know, how can you actually be, you know, looking outside yourself for opportunities to actually, you know, connect with somebody so that you yourself feel connected and they feel connected. And you're gonna get a little bit of that kind of like pulsing part in that muscle. And then, you know, looking for the next opportunity in terms of like, you know, maybe I can work things out to be able to do this for somebody. Or maybe you wanna share some new knowledge with them. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be a gift or money or anything, purely just sharing knowledge or wisdom or, you know, sending people resources via the internet or again, calling up someone to say a word of encouragement to them can really start to exercise a muscle that ends up creating a catalyst for change in our communities. You know, whether we get into that pay it forward kind of mentality or being able to actually, you know, be beyond ourselves kind of thought pattern, you know, really being able to hold it in a space of mind to be actually saying to ourselves, like I'm doing this for not only me, but for others. And then actually advocating for others to do the same and in turn. And then we get create a momentum around us. Enough times when you start to actually be able to say that around you to actually see others create that impact in others. The most powerful movements have come from grassroots movements. Yes. And that is in itself small groups of people, okay. two, three. It always starts with just a core group and then that ripple effect is tremendous. And I love the way that you framed it because I've recently been thinking about that because of course you want to have a positive impact on the world, um, but zoom it back in to where you are. And sometimes I overlook those closest to me. I'm like, am I feeding into my teammates? Am I feeding into my friends, my friendships? Am I feeding into my family? You know, those things that you take for granted almost, but those are the easiest things to do, actually. The easiest person to pick up a phone and call because there's no like awkward, you know, it's, it's within your realm of possibility. And then, like you said, flexing a muscle, we can continue down that road. And, and I love, that's one of the silver linings, I think, from this pandemic is that people have started to resonate with this idea of community and local um, support and connectivity um, in a way that we haven't before or we haven't in a long time, I would say, and, and realizing how important that is and 
and finding different ways to to really give back into the community, which is incredible. And it's something you have been doing your entire life. I know since since we've known each other so long, I know that this is something that you are so passionate about uh, working with different organizations in the community. I know you have a couple projects on the on the go right now that are probably still under wraps that we can't announce yet, but are going to be incredible. And and it's just so, like, why is it so important? Why is this idea you know, of community it's, so it's important? It's funny because my sister and I were talking about this the other day, and um, she said to me something that was really fascinating where, you know, if we go back before the Industrial Revolution, you know, the community in which the person actually had was like something like 200 people. Like when we talk about like before roads and before like, you know, again, I don't, I'm not a historian, but when we think about like those old times right like communities that were like isolated from one another roads weren't created you know you had to take like a horse across the field to see somebody else but if you even think about the the, the capsule of only knowing 200 people in your village and like there was like the one blacksmith there was like the one leather maker there was like the one person who knew how to make bread really well <laughs> And that intentionality component in terms of like really knowing the space and place that you're in. And, you know, when we look at our world today and like how interconnected communities are and, you know, whether that be through the internet or through, you know, more industrialization of cities and spaces, you know, even anthropologists and sociologists would say like people who are, you know, in more remote areas and actually are, you know, indigenous, Aboriginal are actually, actually feeling more happiness, higher rates of like actually feeling more connected with their community. And, you know, we can, we, we, it's, it's an interesting perspective to even like, you know, reflect on in this, this moment, you know, when we, we think about, you know, who else I can impact or how can I create this impact of our world? Going back to my sister's point, when, when there was 200 people in your village, that'd be like who you wanted to impact. That's like, that was your world. She didn't know anything out beyond that. You're like looking for a partner within that sphere of influence, right? And now you can like hook up with anybody across the world. <laughs> so, you know, in terms of like, even in terms of when we utilize that word and impact, I, I, I do think it's a space from inside that like wants us to do more and better than just us. Like we want to know that there is something beyond just who we are as human beings. And I do believe that that is a call for us to want to be in relationship with others. It, and my question to you right now, for those of you listening, are really is like, what is your world? Who is your world? Because you're not going to influence the 7 billion, 8 billion, 9, I don't even know what we're at now, billion people in this world, but who do you define as your world? And if that is one person, that is a full world for you. If that's, you're right, like being able to redefine it and really recognizing, okay, who are those people, whether they be physical right now that you're actually able to see if they're people again that you're able to connect with over different, you know, forums or chat rooms or whatever it may be. And really starting to ask yourself, okay, how can I be able to move myself more into a space of intentionality in those relationships and really care about the language that I'm using with them? How am I actually utilizing good questions to get to know who they are, right? That redundancy of like a, a quick call of saying like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, great. How was your day today? Oh, good. 
what are you planning to do tonight? Oh, you know, making some dinner. All right, well, uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow, okay? Like we can get into that redundancy of our questioning that really becomes obsolete in terms of actually feeding our soul. So like when you're calling, like really recognizing, okay, A, am I in a space of actually wanting to do this call? Am I ready for this? <laughs> and, 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 you know, even recognizing about like, I want to enter into a space of deeper conversation and intentionality with the person and saying to them, hey, like, I was actually just thinking like, you know, I was wondering like, you know, um, you know, what do you think about, again, I'm trying to think like, you know, would you like to talk about movies sometime? Maybe we can like be able to increase that conversation and like actually talk about things like I want to actually have a different type of conversation than the redundancy that I feel like we have in our relationship. And that's going to actually ignite a fire in that other person that's like, yeah, you're kind of right. Like it is kind of just like mediocre. So let's really work together to actually like increase the, the color of our conversation and be able to see it in a different light. And then we're both working intentionally to actually change that conversation between the two of us. Yeah, I found that has been even more difficult in the digital world. And that's basically what we've been using lately is that redundancy in text. And this is why I don't really like to have long conversations over text or, you know, because they're not, you're not usually talking about anything, you know, like, hey, how are you? Yeah, okay. What's the next? What are you doing today? What are you doing next week? Like, I'm in the same place that I've been for the past several weeks, you know, I'm doing the same thing, more or less, you know. Um, so that's, that's a, a great um, reframe to bring to conversations. A, again, the awareness. <laughs> Do I want to be on this call? Um, am I here? Not just physically, but mentally, emotionally. Um, and, I, and I found that's something that I've actually worked on a lot um, before I pick up the phone and call someone because you can often, because our phones are so easily accessible, we often just, you know, let pick it up while we're doing whatever and we're distracted, talk to this person walking through in the grocery store or whatever. And I have made a conscious effort, especially I'll take my, my parents or my mom. I, I talk to them several times a week. Conscious effort is a really good word too. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, because I want those connections to, um, to be useful and not useful, but, but deep that we get something out of them. I don't want to, to call my mom perhaps sometimes, but if I really want that deep connection, I'm not going to call her when I'm at the grocery store or when I'm in the middle of cleaning my place, I'm going to do it when I can sit down and actually talk with her. And that you need to take that with a grain of salt because sometimes you need to just connect with people on the go. But if you do want that deeper connection, like you said, if you do want to be present and ask a question that's not mundane, you need to be there. And in order to be there, you need to be focused. And in order to be focused, you can't be doing something else because we literally do not have the bandwidth to be focusing on two things at once. Because if we're focusing at two th on, thing on two things at once, we're neither here nor there. So I love this idea of bringing intention, A, what am I doing? Okay, I'm picking up the phone to call this person. Why am I calling this person? I want to connect with them. And how do I want to connect with them? By, you know, maybe asking them 
a deeper question other than hi how are you <laughs> oh man I, I, I love this and I am definitely going to be going back over this. Obviously, I need to go back over it because I need to edit it, but um, taking notes as well, because there's so many things that, you know, we learn, like you say, or we listen to podcasts or we read in a book that we're like, oh, I need to maybe implement that into my life. Um, oh, that's a great way to see that. But then we forget about it. And again, we come back to, to journaling or jotting things down, like actually the physical um, movement of writing is a second time of us hearing it or seeing it. Yes. And then it becomes a little bit more cemented in our brain. And then reading over that again, that's a, th a third time. And then we have more and more likelihood of actually retaining that. Um, I wonder if you want to... Do you have any passion projects going on right now or anything that is really lighting your fire right now or something that you're really interested and in you want to share about or just anything that any topics that are at the front of your mind? Because I know you're always thinking about a wide variety of things and doing a wide variety of things. Definitely. Um, so actually through the pandemic, um, I started to realize just how disconnected I keep was from my true creative sense. Um, and it's funny because I've been such a creative person throughout my whole life. And um, the pandemic has put things in perspective for myself in terms of different facets of who I am as an individual. And something that wasn't really, I wouldn't say it was encouraged, but in terms of like fostered and like expanded upon was this notion of like who I am as an artist and even an expressionist or even like how I actually am inviting people into my own art. Um, and, and I think part of that also comes from a space of like never feeling like I myself can be a perfect artist. Mm. And if there's artists listening, whether that be like visual artists or creatives or actors or singers, um, there's this component in terms of you know, presenting oneself on one stage or, you know, artwork or whatever, and feeling like, you know, it's in the eye of the, the beholder. And I know this for athletes too, where you perform or you play a really great game and there's still the commentator who's like saying something that you've missed or like, you know, this is like a part that like they missed or their game's really off. And like that spectating feeling and almost like a surveillance of who you are as a human being, being put Um, and this has been something that's been like stirring and creating for myself over the last several years. Um, I myself have been a person who uh, can pick up something and learn it very quickly. And, um, but never 
obtaining the space of like, I am now like a really great watercolor artist, or I'm a really great like uh, acrylic artist, or, you know, I can knit crazy awesomeness. And um, it's been funny for myself to get to know more and more artists and just finding that they themselves also are holding this like perfectionist mentality over themselves. And it relates to what I just said, right? This surveillance that people have over what we're creating. And it's funny that you, you asked this question because for myself, um, I've been really, um, you know, with accumulation of several different things, been working through what does it mean to actually invite community to actually create um, beauty together and actually be supportive of one another in this quest of like creating without the expectation that we have to maintain it to be perfect. Because again, this good old saying of, it's a beauty in the eye of the beholder is so true, right? Um, there will always be something that can be created or changed about art or, you know, performance that we necessarily can look back and say, wow, I wish I had done this better. But at the end of the day, it still has to be put out. Like a game still needs to be played. An art piece needs to finish. <laughs> you only can unravel so many things that you try to knit and unravel those stitches to actually like, it just needs to be finished so you can actually get on to like the next project. And lately I've been getting into what's called uh, natural dye-based yarn. So going out into the community and actually foraging um, items like from, that have fallen from trees that are actually like, you know, dead uh, in, in the community. Um, and actually turning that into dye pots um, of like color that we're actually able to actually put yarn into those pots and vats of, of color and actually create something from it. And for me, it's um, a really beautiful process because I'm taking something that is really recognized as being dead and making it become alive again and being able to really wrestle between this component of like, I don't necessarily know what this color is going to come from this dead or like thing that's falling apart um, and making it into something new. Um, and I think for myself, I was even just saying to myself last night um, with my sister is really seeing it as this process of like not knowing how it's going to turn out, but at the same time, my intention and my drive to do it well has been the same every single time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is what I now need to start deeming myself as I'm like moving through that is like, am I putting my best foot forward when I step onto a game or when, when I'm actually going to like be going to work is my, my, my willingness to actually engage in this, you know, leisure activity, this enjoyment process, the same and irregardless of how that result actually turns out. Again, noticing that I actually brought my best self to that, that experience. I love that. Just shifting our focus from the result to the process, which often just shifting it to the process makes the result even better. I love the way that works. And it again, a counterintuitive approach, and we can apply it to so many places in our life, so many places in our life. But I love this idea of, especially for creatives, and we're, we're all creative in our, in our own way. So I feel like that speaks to quite a few of us. It speaks to that perfection piece that we were talking about. It speaks to that connection piece as well that creating community 
in that area of art and creativity and building something together. And just like the dope piece of you going out, foraging things from nature, making these vats of color and dyeing yarn and creating that. I, I reflect on this a bit and I've had many conversations with friends about how in this digital era that we are in, um, a lot of what we do is, is quite distant from us. It's on the computer and we, it's done. We get the work done or the project is, is out or it's finished, um, but we don't walk away with the same sense of completion. Um, that we, yeah, of satisfaction because the, the result is out there somewhere floating in the stratosphere, uh, the interwebs. It's not the same as working with your hands, um, getting dirty, having that tactile feel, and then a finished product. Product Again, regardless of what that finished product looks like, sometimes you can put something together. It looks a little janky, but you're still proud of what you've done because, hey, I did that. I made something. I created something out of nothing. And that, that sense of... Um, creativeness for sure great creativity but just that sense of satisfaction as well I think is is a great place of of contentment and you also talked about um not staying in that space of just like planning and like doing and I I I think about that a lot because I'm in the I'm now in a space of transitioning into to retirement soon and I can and I am a planner. I love to plan everything. I want everything structured so that it's ready and I, you know, you have all these plans, but at the end of the day, you actually need to put some work out. You need to do it. And it's one of the reasons why I have this podcast, is one of the reasons why I have these blogs is to to force myself to put something out because I'm taking in so much, I'm reading so much, I'm learning so much, and I feel the obligation to put something back out there. And I want to share that work in, in progress, not just the final piece. I mean, I would love, my natural state is to put something out that's perf perfect. And it's just like, oh, I didn't even try. I'm naturally an expert yes. in this. But forcing yourself to get out of that space and saying like, okay, come with me on my journey. I haven't figured it all out. I probably never will. But this is my best effort at this moment in time. Take it for what it is. Um, and usually people do take something out of that and they, they like to come along with you on that journey. Yeah, they're able well. to respond to you. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, if we're not, you're not actually putting something out there, there's no, there's no, uh, no space for the response from other people. And again, perfectionism leads us to a space of thinking, if I can hold on to this long enough, I'm able to provide like the best, like product ever. And then I'm going to get complete affirmation and there's not going to be any critical sense of self or anything. Right. But, but again, we go back to that logical component. We talked about this earlier where it's like, um, you know, we ourselves can hold, yeah, we can't be perfect, but at the same time we put out that product or we perform and, and it isn't perfect and we can focus on, you know, how it's imperfect, or we can focus on the fact that people are actually able to give us response and feedback and actually, 
you know, be able to take that and produce something new again, right? Um, we have to look at actually being able to create ground versus like, you know, picking the best ground that we actually want to actually put our foot onto, right? So taking that ground first is really important to actually start moving forward. Mm -hmm. I love that idea of making it a conversation because when you put things out, imperfect as they may be, it becomes a conversation. It becomes a, I'm giving something to you. You give me feedback, um, whether it's, hey, I like that, or it's constructive criticism, or, you know, you learn more. Oh, I didn't know that you like that. Oh, me too. Um, it's this conversation piece as opposed to guarding it for yourself and then presenting it. Here's my perfect, in quotation marks, mm -hmm. perfect finished product, which is just a monologue. It's you existing in your little yeah. sphere and then forcing it on someone and hoping that they, they, they pick it up. But that seems much less, um, much less relatable much uh, less um, dynamic. There's a word I was looking for, it's lost in my brain, but it feels like a conversation, what you get from that will always be building to something bigger than a monologue, bigger than something that we can come up with ourselves. And it comes back to that idea of community. We will always go further together than we can even imagine by ourselves. And we have to keep that in mind as we are trying to progress ourselves. And, you know, I, I am all for, you know, bettering of self and being able to, uh, you know, create individual goals that make us, you know, be achieve new things in our life. Um, but in reference to those around us, at what expense, potential consequence may that have, right? And when we look at networking opportunities and being able to actually seek out support, um, you know, character is huge at the end of the day too, right? And how we're holding ourselves and actually intentionally engaging with people. Um, the, the saying go, rings true where like people do remember how you left made them feel, not necessarily what, how, what you said to them, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, removing this expectation for ourselves to say the right thing or removing this expectation that somehow they are, you know, going to hold us back, you know, whoever that may be in our life. How can we actually, you know, resonate with ourselves? Yes, my individual goals are important, but I also want to take those around me with me. Um, in terms of like how I'm treating them, how I'm working with them, and also allowing them to actually ignite their own fire so that I can actually have the energy to do what I want to do in my life as well. Amen. Yes. <laughs> you mentioned character and we can have a whole other conversation about that. We will not get into that today. No, but not we'll, character today. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that another time. We'll have a part two for sure. And I don't want to take up any more of your time. You have dropped so many gems today. I am so, so pleased and honored that you were able to join me today. Uh, could you tell the people where they can follow you, where they can find you, uh, where they can connect with you? Definitely. I have a website that you're more than welcome to contact me through. It's A-M-I-E. 
L-A-T-T-A.com, amylatta.com, and you're more than welcome to contact me through there, um, and as well as my phone number is located on that website. I love it. So wonderful. For sure, check her out. Um, she is an incredible individual. I'm so happy that we were able to chat. I knew this was <laughs> going to be a great conversation, and um, we will connect soon. Thank you so much, Amy. Sounds great. Thanks, Miranda.